0: what is up everybody and welcome to the all nba podcast part of the all city podcast network and happy monday to everyone i'm your host adam Matez. i'm joined by my esteemed colleague tim legler no shortage of nba topics to get to today we have that great in-season finale and we're also going to highlight a couple teams and players we find to be most interesting legs how was your weekend
1: weekend was good it was spent uh, mostly in a car driving uh, uh from jersey to florida so i spent most of the weekend doing that did did get to the hotel in time on Saturday night cuz I have to make one pit stop on the way down to see the game obviously. Um yeah. and let me ask you a question now that it's over. Yeah. Are you feeling a little in-season tournament hangover, man? You're a little depressed, you know? <laughs> all this all this excitement that we generated and created yeah. here early in the season and now it's, you know, we got a 2 month 2 months until uh the All-Star break, man. So what do you how are you feeling about the adrenaline rush not being there anymore this about the tournament?
0: I don't, I wouldn't say I have the hangover. I feel like I stayed two drinks too long at the bar, you know, like the, the, the in-season <laughs> tournament to me right. peaked, I don't know. I think it peaked the quarterfinals for me. And then the semis and final, not that they were underwhelming, they were good, but I just feel like it, it kind of waned. But to your point, and we'll get into this. I am curious to see if there's a hangover in general from some of the teams oh, yeah. that went hard into this tournament, right. because now you know, you win these games. It's great for your record, but if it costs you games on the back end, maybe it hurts you. And I'm kind of curious to see if that happens.
1: I will be shocked if it doesn't happen. I'm. Yeah. A, you can almost you can almost guarantee that that's going to happen. And, you know, and, and even some of these individual performances. And we're going to get into the game in a second. Like you know, Anthony Davis. You know, yeah. Anthony Davis played with such a purpose, especially from the quarterfinals on. And he was so yeah. consistent with how hard he was playing, and we don't usually say that about Anthony Davis. So now you look at him, and you know they win it all, and he's sensational throughout. And and now you just go play normal regular season games. So a team like that, a team like oh. Indiana, that all of a sudden got thrust into the national spotlight, right. and and Halliburton, right, his ascension right before our eyes. What does that feel like now to the Pacers that you just got to go play these mundane weekday games, you know, against teams? Uh, maybe some that aren't very good or whatever i'm very curious to see how each of these teams that that advance to the quarters and beyond kind of how they handle it and how they feel now that it's over with and you just got to go play normal
0: games on your schedule that don't have as great a weight yeah uh as we get started on this show let us know in the comments if you're watching along live or if you're watching this later just comment below let us know what you thought of the in-season tournament did you like it were you following every single game were you glued to your television or were you checked out of it? I'm curious to know your thoughts. Quickly, I want to tell you that we are brought to you today by the DraftKings Fantasy Sports app. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code All NBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. The majority of today's show is going to be on two teams that we find to be interesting. Legs picked one. I picked another. Brooklyn Nets, Dallas Mavericks. And then a player. We singled out a player on different teams that we found to be particularly interesting. And I went with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. You went with Derek White. So we're going to break those guys down a lot. But I wanted to start today, Legs, by talking about this tournament and just kind of wrapping it up. You're... I have two thoughts on this, uh, uh, two overarching thoughts on the game. And they're both Lakers thoughts. One, you already got to Anthony Davis, he played it with a seriousness and intensity that kind of surprised me. I mean, he was screaming at the crowd. He was screaming. He was playing all over. He was making a huge impact. It was a favorable matchup, but I think that he still shined even given the favorable matchup. And then the other one is LeBron, who we'll get to and who just somehow looks younger than he has in the last four years. Uh, and I want to put that to the side for right now. But that to me, the Anthony Davis, like the Lakers are a different team when they have a second superstar, not a star, but superstar. Anthony Davis, Davis dominated that game and the Lakers look like the best team in the NBA.
1: Yeah, look, what a, what a strange offensive uh, box score to look at for the Lakers in this era of the NBA. Think about this now. Think about this. They made two three-point shots, two,
0: two of thirteen. Man,
1: eighty-six points in the paint, eighty-six. <laughs> so, and this was going in. We knew that this was the massive advantage, right? We talked about this right. before the game yep. on Friday. We see what is the advantage that the Lakers have. The advantage is the this just the straight-out size, force, physical presence of their best players, along with skill in those spaces where they could be physically dominant. And it added up to that. And and the Lakers, to their credit, they did not fall into the trap of taking shots that were going to be available to them. They committed for 48 minutes to beat that team up because, look, let's face it, the Pacers' starting lineup, there are a lot of of teams in the Power 5 conferences in Division I that across the board are bigger than the Indiana Pacers' starting lineup. Um, so they're small. They play. They play a bunch of guards. They play Miles Turner, and then sometimes they even have Obi Toppin its center, who's a six seven small forward. So the Lakers' advantage clearly was with LeBron James, Anthony Davis beating them up in the paint, attacking off the drive, getting to the line, not settling for for the weakness in their game, which is taking contested three point shots. They didn't do it, man. They said we're going to come at you the way we know how and see if you physically can stop us in any way. I and mean, look. It was a three-point game, I believe, with six minutes left. It didn't feel like that. Like, there are games that are one possession game six minutes to go, and you really don't know what's about to happen. I felt like I knew what was about to happen. And the Lakers just imposed their will down the stretch, and it ends up being a double-digit win. And they kind of coast at the end of the game, even though they were challenged there at one point. But it just was as simple for me as too big, too strong, too forceful, too talented. Uh, for the Indiana Pacers to deal with. And and so their incredible run and and, and being a great storyline, very entertaining team, they weren't a match for the Lakers' uh, physicality. They just couldn't really stop them. And the Lakers yeah. dominated out of most in the paint.
0: So the Lakers look like world beaters throughout this whole run. But if I play a little devil's advocate to this, outside of the Pelicans, who are supposed to be a paint team, a paint presence team, and they just kind of laid down and died and got murdered, outside of that one, they beat the Suns. Good scoring team, no paint presence, no paint defense. They beat this Pacers team, great scoring team, no paint presence. How much of this is you watch this Lakers team play and you're like, this is a level up from the team that made the Western Conference Finals last year. They've gotten better. They're more athletic, um, you know, whatever. Or how much of this is they went up against some teams that they're perfectly designed, their strength against other teams' weakness. How much of it is that? How much is it you believe in this team?
1: We're going to find that out. And I, I mean, I really genuinely mean that. We don't have the answer to it because the Indiana Pacers started the year I was watching them primarily because I like watching Halliburton. I mean, that, that's really the reason I was watching their team early in the season, because he's just that entertaining to watch. But, you know, and, and we knew they we were scoring a ton of points, giving up a ton of points. And you're just like, honestly, they looked like a team like, OK, they're, they're just another team in the league. Like, that's that's what they look like to me because they're not they're not contender. We didn't view them that way. And you watch them through this run, and you know, where you really are watching every minute of every game and dissecting some of the things they're doing and how clutch they were and, and the way they handled yeah. big moments. And look, they 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 took out Boston and Milwaukee, you know, in one-off situations, right? Two teams that we think could win the whole thing. And they handled both of them. So they definitely have elevated my interest in them. I still don't know. Okay, I want to see if this. Because I thought they were better defensively, actually, throughout this. Now, the Lakers were just too much for them. But throughout it, the first first two games of the quarterfinals, semifinals, I thought their defense had a purpose to it. Like they had a plan and they executed it better. And they were given a lot of effort. So if that's the case, man, if if there's 10% more to give on that end of the floor with what you're doing offensively, hey, maybe now you're a pretty relevant team in the Eastern Conference. And that's what we don't know yet. I've now got to see what happens to the Pacers. Over the next 10 games, the next 15 games, let's see what happens. And do they revert back to like a, you know, basically a 500 team because they don't bring it every night like that. That, That's what I think we're all curious about.
0: Well, here's my theory on that legs. There are teams that score easy. There are teams that defend easy. And then most teams can do those things at a high level. If you play really hard through the course of an 82 game season, if you're going to be a good defense, you have to be able to defend easy. And if you're going to be a good offense, you have to be able to score hard. I think they can defend well when they play that way. I just don't think you can play that way for 82 games. So you get into this tournament environment where every game matters and you play with playoff intensity. That's my theory on the Pacers because I look around and I go, how could they have a good defense? They don't have good defensive players. They don't have the size and they don't have like – the right type of athleticism to be a good defense. So to me, I fully expect them to go back to the team we were seeing for most of the year so far, which is to say they'll pick their spots of when to play hard, and it'll have mixed results. So, though it sounds like you think their ceiling this year
1: is a, a first round playoff exit,
0: probably. Right? Probably. Because I think there's four they're teams feel,
1: you, know, you, you can't envision them beating Milwaukee, Boston. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, would you give them a puncher's chance against Philly? No. You wouldn't? Okay. So so then you're talking about, you know, Knicks, Heat, like that level right. team. That's here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they probably won't even get one of those teams in the first round because I think they're probably going to finish in that six, seven, eight range somewhere in there which means you get one of the three teams we just mentioned in the first round. So that's probably their ceiling. It's interesting. I saw Woj reporting, you know, while this run was going on, that like the Pacers, I mean, it seemed like, yeah, I guess this should be what they're going to do. They want to go add. They think Tyrese Halliburton is now the guy to go out and recruit like top tier talent to come play with him. And I think him as a player, I agree with. I think there are more things that go into it than just that. I think there's also the market. I think where, the, you know, where yeah. it's located. Yeah. I just think that stuff matters to players, man. And and look, Rick Carlisle's been in the league a long, long time. I don't know that necessarily Rick Carlisle's every player's like cup of tea. Like I definitely want to go play for right. Rick Carlisle. So there's more factors than just, wow, Halliburton is super talented and he gives it up, which is an incentive for guys to play with him because he gives the ball up too. I don't, there's more to it than that for them to go. And it's not going to happen this year, I don't think. But like, I think they're talking about you know the next two or three-year plan to put in place next to Halliburton. It's a lot harder in certain markets to make that happen. So we'll see what happens down the road with that. I think you're right. This year, that's probably their ceiling, a five- or six-game series against one of those top three teams in the right. first round.
0: And maybe, or, you know, a four or five, you're talking Orlando Magic, maybe even Cleveland Cavaliers beatable team. So maybe you get that. But outside of that, I, I just think the top three teams are a different class. But what about Pascal Siakam? Because that's the guy that everybody kind of assumes when they say they want an athletic front court yeah. player, you know, young enough to be able to fit into their their, uh, you know, their sort of team. Pascal Siakam next to Turner and and uh, and Halliburton. Is that a formula that you kind of buy?
1: I love that. I mean, I'm a huge. You're not. You're gonna find too many guys that like Pascal Siakam more than I do. Um, he, I just think he's a he's a utility knife player. He does everything. Right. He plays hard all the time. He likes to defend. Um, he's a versatile scorer. You know, he, so he's always got a good matchup. Too small, he can post you. Too big, right. he can shoot from the perimeter, beat you off to dribble. Right. He slashes yeah. well. You know, like he's just a guy that you can plug in. And he doesn't need a ton of stuff run for him. He's just, he's got a high motor, makes it happen. He's super, super
0: productive. That would be a great fit alongside Tyrese Halliburton. Would you pull the trigger if you're this? I mean, sometimes it feels like a team's young and you don't want to speed up the process. You want to let it develop naturally, but the Pacers are mixed. They're not just young. Halliburton's young, but they have similar guys. Would you pull the trigger right now and try to go, or would you say, hey, sometimes we got to give this a year to see what we have, not make anything too quick.
1: Oh, that's a good. That's a tough one because of what we were talking about a second ago, and and that is seeing. Okay, what is this really like? Like now, everybody's kind of like, "Oh, okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. This team, man. You know, right. they're so fun. They got this star player now. Well, let's see how good they really are. And I think I think that might be the prudent way to proceed because I think there's still more they have to learn about their own roster. You know, right. I don't think they really know necessarily about probably three or four guys on their team that might be involved in a trade like that that you might want to keep. Or you think, okay, we kind of know what this is and we want something different. I think they're still evaluating their own team. And a lot of that is because I think even to them, and it's hard to get a team to admit it, but even to them, they're kind of like, wow, Halliburton's even better than we thought. Like we've got something here that's even a little bit, better than we even anticipated when we got him. So now you have to recalibrate what you have that fits and where you think this is going. And I think the prudent approach might be to wait now that they've gotten all this attention. Let's see what the next phase is for this team over the next two months heading into the trade deadline.
0: And you're talking about Matherin, Neesmith, Nemhard, maybe even Obi Toppin. Like they have young players that to me, they have young players that, I mean, he the salary match. You know, I think he would be the guy that would have to be involved. But the other guys, you're talking about young guys that could be something more. But that that's the calculation you kind of have to make. Let's Last one as we wrap up this segment, though. The Lakers are the team that won, and they dominated the entirety of this, this tournament. I mean, they looked phenomenal. They had a little bit of a scare against the Phoenix Suns. That was it. Um, LeBron James, we talked about Anthony Davis. LeBron James, to me, last year against the Nuggets in the playoffs, you know, he they win the first two rounds. They get to the Nuggets. And I saw him give everything he had, left it all out on the court, and it wasn't enough. And I looked at that and I said, LeBron, as great as he is, I don't know if his best is enough to carry a team the way it used to, and I don't know if this Lakers team has enough to carry him. So I I didn't want to say I wrote him off, but at least it was like, yeah, he's he's past that. I almost feel like he bounced back this year, and somehow he's faster, and he was the fastest guy on the court. He was the best conditioned guy on the court. He was the toughest guy on the court, and he looked like he had more in the tank. I mean, that guy was running around like a maniac all four quarters. To me, he was the story, and he's the story of the Lakers. He looks like he could be the best player in any series against anybody. That's how good he looked to me through this tournament. It's it's really,
1: and I think people need to understand and really comprehend what they're watching here. In a team sports setting, it's incomprehensible that LeBron James at his age should ever be the best player on the floor <laughs> and, and and actually even more importantly he should never be the best athlete on the floor <laughs> yet there are some nights that that's the case too so even when he's not necessarily playing well and dominating you know some of the stuff he does athletically with his straight ahead speed and like and, and the way he can finish at the rim over people and he had a double clutch dunk the other night like I mean At his age, he should not be able to go in for a dunk, have a shot blocker come go under his arm and then lift it up again and dunk the ball and stay in the air that long. So none of it, none of it is anything any of us have ever seen before. Nothing close to this at this level athletically and the skill level. So I think what's happening with LeBron a little bit and what's going on with with this particular run and the fact that, you know, look, those guys like that are always looking for a little extra juice and this tournament created that for him. I think it's also, I think he's looking at this team as a significantly more viable threat to win it all than the team he played on last year, even when they were going through the playoffs, knowing that they had Denver to face still. And and he looked at his roster and it was not good enough. This roster is better. It's better. And he, I think, because of that, is a little bit more energized. Particularly when you raise the stakes and put any regular season game and throw a little bit of Tabasco sauce on it. Now you got LeBron James with a team he thinks is better and in a regular season game that matters more for some reason. Let's see what's. Let's see what's what, and and that's what's been so impressive. And that's why look, the Lakers. For anybody that thought the Lakers got you know running mud a little bit at the start of the year, we're like, okay, maybe the ship has sailed. They're not on that level with Denver and probably what Phoenix is going to end up being. Well, I got news for you. Yes, they are. The Lakers are going to be in this thing till the end, and they are a legitimate title threat. And they're going to be that way, barring any sort of significant injury to those top two players.
0: Is it just as simple as Torian Prince and Cam Reddish? I mean, those two guys, it does give you some more length. It gives you some athleticism, but... It's just those two guys. I mean, everybody else, more or less. I mean, I know you have like a Jackson Hayes and a, and a Christie, but it feels like it's just Torian Prince and Cam Reddish that changed the equation for them. Yeah, but yeah,
1: but it's, it's even like I think that, you know, Austin Reeves even is a better player than he was even at the end of last year. I mean, he, he was yeah. good for them in the first half of the year. He was very good the second half of the year. He didn't start well at the beginning of this year for a variety of reasons. He is now – He's now as such an impactful player, and and he takes so much off of LeBron's plate, not having to be the guy that handles the ball every possession when he's on the floor. I just I think Dwayne Wade and Kyrie are the only two guys that have handled the ball more on the floor of LeBron than Austin Reeves. Right. That's how much responsibility he gives him. It, it makes LeBron fresher. He that's, doesn't that's have to grind out all of those possessions, bringing it up. And guys, you know, look, he's not going to blow by you in the backcourt. So he's got guys hitting him, and he wears you over a period of time. Now you got to back a guy into the post and run the offense out of that, or run ball screen you know, two times in the same possession. Now, man, there's trips. She comes up, Austin. You've got it. Go ahead, do your thing. Create over there. If it ends up my hands later on the clock, I'll make something happen. But he's got possessions now. Offensively, he's able to rest, and it's because of Austin Reeves. So it's it's he's even better than he was last year. You mentioned you know adding adding reddish. That's a big one. I think I think. Even Christian Wood, like in the regular season, is going to have a benefit for them because he is a guy you can play big minutes and he's going to produce. He's going to give you nights. If guys you want to rest, guys, Christian Wood is going to be able to you know, put numbers up. So I think just collectively they believe yeah. more and the roster is a little bit deeper, a little longer, a little more athletic. And I think that gives Le- LeBron a little bit more bounce in his step.
0: Yeah. They look good to me. Um, and I love the point about getting LeBron off ball because I do think that's a big part of it, is especially in the playoffs and especially in that Denver series. He had to do everything. And just allowing him to not have to do everything keeps him a little more fresh. And all of a sudden, he looks like the most athletic dude in the NBA at 39 years old. So, um, Lakers get yeah. it. Kudos to them. They get the first ever in season tournament. And now we turn. Oh, our bro, by the
1: way, to- sorry to interrupt you real quick. I just I meant to say this and I forgot. What? I just also want to give a shout out how great it was to see Ronnie James right back mm-hmm. on the court. LeBron got to go see him. His, he made a season debut for USC after everything he went through. And, you know, you can imagine the fear and, you know, this is some young man that loves the game that much and, and having it taken away really for an indefinite amount of time at the, at the time he was diagnosed, had the heart condition, had the surgery. He, he, he's back, made his debut for USC, had a couple really athletic plays in that game. And, and LeBron was able to, to see that. I know what that meant to LeBron James and his family to see his son out there players. I just wanted to say, hey, we're, we're all grateful that Bronny
0: made it back to the court. And we wish
1: him nothing but success and good health the rest of the season.
0: Absolutely. Let's take our break. On the other side, we are going to get into some of these other teams uh, that we want to talk about, starting with the Brooklyn Nets, who Legs has identified as his most interesting team. Why? We're going to have to find out. Maybe it's his love of Cam Thomas, like me, the absolute bucket getter. We'll talk about him on the other side. First... I want to tell you guys in the nba the game can change in an instant but no matter how the action unfolds you know DraftKings sportsbook has your back this week new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on any basketball game win or lose you get an instant dub win like we did on thursday with emma's easy easy money emma's parlay or lose like we did on friday with her parlay either way you're still going to get those bonus bets you can also combine multiple bets from the same game or for multiple games for a parlay and get uh, an even bigger payout. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NBA. New customers can get $150 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 on any basketball game. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, back here, segment two of the All-NBA Show. Don't forget to hit that like button if you're watching on YouTube. And don't forget to let your friends know about it so we can grow this show. We want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I asked you legs. Come up with a team that you find to be particularly interesting here in the upcoming month. And you selected the Brooklyn Nets. They are 12 and 9. They're the, se- uh, the seven seed right now in the East. They've won 6 or 7. And my note here, as I throw it to you, my note is, they. as I was looking and trying to prepare for this, they don't have a bad loss this year. If you look at their losses, all to good teams, usually on the road. So why did you single them out as your most interesting team right now? Yeah, I love
1: that point because that's one of the points I was going to make. And I've been looking up and down their schedule as well. And and this was a team that beginning of the year didn't get out of the gate very quickly, so they didn't get any attention, right? And and it wasn't like coming into the year they were one of the sexy storylines. So those get gobbled up by you know some of these big player movement and and who we you know way Boston added, Milwaukee added, Phoenix, right? the Lakers, Dallas, Denver's repeat champs, all these storylines. And if the Nets get out of the gate, you know, 8-1, and one, then they would have gotten their shine. that That's not the case. So th- they're putting together their string now. They've won six out of seven. Their one loss was a tie game with three minutes to go. They lost a game by one. They got a seven-game winning streak yep. as we sit here. And so it's, it's not just that they're playing well lately. I just look at their roster, and I look at the versatility – and the long-armed wings that this team yep. has, right? And, and there's so many of them. You don't want to leave any out. Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, Lonnie Walker, Cameron Johnson, Spencer Dimity, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Nicholas Claxton, right? It's, it's just this what they can do and what they look like with their length and their interchangeable parts uh, makes them interesting. Mikhail Bridges, very interesting player, one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA that's now turned into a 23-point-per-game scorer. And he's the guy that they go to to settle matters more often than not late in the game. Hit a game winner the other night against Atlanta. Um, So his emergence as much more than a three and D player and and just being a guy that I followed a lot in college at Nova. And I I just very enamored with him, the way he carries himself. uh, Very professional's approach, the way he plays both ends of the floor. I've always been a big fan and his growth offensively since he left Phoenix is really incredible to look at what he's turned himself into with his mid-range game and his ability to handle the ball more in, in like, initial ball screen offense. But then there's this other guy, Cam Thomas. Yes. So if I asked anybody, If I asked anybody, anybody that thinks they're an NBA fan, they're you know, walking down the street, hey, who's leading the Nets and scoring right now? They're not saying Cam Thomas. They're not saying him. Now, he hasn't played – he's only played 12 games – but he's right. averaging 23.7. And look, he you shouldn't be surprised because of that scoring burst he had last year, right, when he was regularly getting 40, like in a two-week <laughs> stretch. Every night he was doing something ridiculous. The guy can flat out score against anyone at any time. And I just look at them, Adam, and I say, wow, of all the teams, we've covered all of the teams in the East from the top all the way through, basically probably the teams that might be in the play-in. We've never talked about the Nets. And here they are two games back in the loss column from the two seed. That's where they sit right now. And I just think they're an interesting team. I think they're a team that they play well together. They got great chemistry. I think they're well coached. They connect to their coach. I just I've got a very positive vibe about the Brooklyn Nets. And they have not been talked about at all. And that's why I wanted to give them a few minutes to kind of shine the light on them and what they've been doing lately and encourage people to maybe check them out
0: well i love the the shout out for cam thomas because he's the one of the funniest players in the nba you know he's 12th in the nba in field goal attempts which is pretty hilarious because you look at the top it's you know luka donch it's joel Nikola Jokic, right. shea she, kevin durant it's like all the superstars Then cam thomas is right there and in fact legs he leads the league in field goal attempts per 36 minutes so if he played the that's same not a shock else, yeah <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you watch him play and that guy is a bucket getter but you know what he's actually you know he makes his shot. He's not just like a chucker. He, he I mean, he is a chucker, oh, no. but he, but he's a scorer. Man, well, I sure wanna, is. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll come back to him in a second. But I love your first point here, which is this is a team that has a lot of wings and a lot of length and a lot of athleticism. And the NBA isn't all those things, especially this modern day NBA. It's not all those things, but it is about half the equation. And we've talked about this when we talked about the Houston Rockets, but they're not a team, the Brooklyn Nets, that beat themselves. And then they have the type of players that just elevate your floor. And I honestly think that's how I would describe them. They don't give you, um, you know, they don't foul or turn it over. And then they have a bunch of wings that can do things on both ends of the court. And that's, I don't know if that's a recipe for a championship. Like at some point, they're going to have to, like, get, they're going to have to take risks, you know, and lose a little bit of this. But it is a recipe for having an incredibly high floor of wings everywhere and don't make mistakes.
1: Completely agree. And, you know, think about all the love that Orlando's gotten and yeah. the way they played and they, they ran into them when Orlando was red hot and they beat yep. them by 30. Got them. <laughs> and if you look at, if you look at their, 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 their defensive net rating over the, the period of time that they've, they've started to get a little bit of a role, I don't see, you know me, I I have a take now that I I don't know that there is such a thing as great defense anymore. I (laughs) I I think because the offense is so explosive in this league and a lot of things make it that way, I think at best you can be incrementally better than average on certain nights and for certain stretches in games. That's really what we're talking about. My my, my point being, it used to be there were teams in this league You say that's a great defensive team, and every night they were a great defensive team, hard to score against. You just knew it was going to be a war. I don't know that we have teams in the league like that anymore, but I do think there are some teams that for stretches in games can up the intensity level and at least make it a little more difficult to operate or contest more shots during that stretch, whatever it may be. I think the Nets are capable of doing that. And that's why they're they're intriguing to me. The question for them is going to be, you know, outside of those top two guys, are they going to get enough offense on a given night? Um, because Their defense, I think, can keep them in games on those nights that it's not. And I just think it's – let's see now where they go from here. They've already climbed from like 10th in the Eastern Conference to so I believe they sit at 6th right now, something like that. Um, so they've made up a lot of ground here over the last couple of weeks. And they've got right now – I want to pull this up because this is very important – I think this is going to tell us a lot about them. They're going on the road, Adam.
0: Oh, yeah, west. it's tough, man. 10 of and the next 14.
1: Sacramento, Phoenix, Denver, Golden State, and then yep. Utah. Uh, so they got a five-game road trip coming up out west. You, you know, The first three I mentioned, all the top-tier teams in the west. Golden State, obviously, is no joke. You don't want to play them either. And then you got Utah to finish it. So I think that's why I wanted to put them on the radar. With that stretch of games coming up and having one six out of seven, They come limping back and get smoked in a couple of those and go one and four on this trip. Yeah, maybe it kind of tells you who the Nets are. If they go on this trip, they win three out of five or something like that. I I, I just think you start to really put them on your radar as a team that can make things interesting in that middle pack in the Eastern Conference.
0: No, the schedule, I think, is going to reveal a lot about them. 10 of the next 14 on the road. And their home games over the next, like, month, you know, basically five weeks are the Knicks, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Pistons. Only one of those is a gimme, so you go on the road, which is always tough in the NBA, especially when you have the Western Coast, uh, West Coast trip. So you go on the road for all those, and your home stands are against three of the best teams in basketball. So I think that they're going to have an incredibly difficult stretch here. They might drop in the standings even if they play well, um, but it is probably their toughest their their toughest stretch here. The other guy that I wanted to talk about with the Nets is DeRon Sharp because he is they're just so small like Claxton is even a small guy and then they play him behind and they kind of need him to play because they just need size they need anybody that has size grabs a bunch of rebounds you know what do you do you have any takes on him and this is the one thing that would keep me from really buying the Nets they're similar to me almost as the Pacers and that I like them they got a lot of things I like but their weaknesses are just so glaring that, that to me, De'Aaron Sharp has to be like a really good player for them to be a serious team. You know, like even remote, not, not serious contender, but just serious as in they can compete with anybody. And I don't know, uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't have a big enough scout on him, but he seems like a very important piece of their team.
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't either. And I think he falls into a category, I, I, you know, he, he plays about 16 minutes a night. So it's not like you always have these these, these huge stretches of games to be able to evaluate him, but he's, he's critical for them. And there's, there are other teams that have guys like that, like I think he's actually similar in the role that he plays that Paul Reed plays for Philadelphia. Yeah, right. That's You're going one. to get 15 minutes a night when Embiid's not on the court. So can can that guy come in and not just be a body? Can you actually come in and affect the game and get on the offensive glass and like with your energy? You know, even because because guy like Paul Reed, I've been in Wells Fargo before. Paul Reed. He's one of those guys that the crowd reacts to, man. Anything oh, yeah, he does, I love him. Because it's all based on effort, right? It's all yeah. effort. And people, people, particularly Blue Collar City, respect that so much. And I yeah. think Sharp is a guy that kind of fills that role for Brooklyn because there's going to be 15 to 20 minutes a night. And look, Claxton's not the biggest guy. I mean, he's real thin. <laughs> yeah, he's real thin. He's probably got a 26-inch waist. Like, I would like to know what yeah. size slacks. Like, he goes in when yeah. he gets a suit. Like he's, he's, I can think I can you put your hands around his waist. He's like so yeah. slender, but he's very, very active and effective. He's really um, – he finishes everything that he gets an opportunity to. His field goal percentages sometimes are just insane. He goes like weeks and feels like without missing anything easy. And I think guys like Sharp are very valuable. Where are, Who's going to plug up those 15 minutes a night and make sure that there's not right. a fall off there that can go and be a physical big presence for us and Sharp fits that role for them?
0: The third team in the Western Conference right now, it's not the Nuggets, it's not the Lakers, it's not the Suns, it's not the Kings. It's the Dallas Mavericks at Um, (laughs) 13-8. Surprising record for them. They are higher in the standings than I would have guessed, just given how they play. I think that they're one of those teams that beats all the bad teams. They don't really trip up too often against the bad teams. That's part of how they get their record here. But they were my most intriguing team because we're this late in the season and they just don't buy them. So this is a quote or a point where we get to January and they're still the third seed. It's going to be one of those things where it's like, all right, now they're really competing to upset the Western Conference in a way where it's like, all right, some good team now is going to have to go on the road uh, round one. To me, the things that are interesting here, um, if we look at Grant Williams, he's ice cold from three. He's only shot and he's actually ice cold overall he had that really good start for them he's only shot over 50 percent once in their last 12 games we'll just start there uh what have you noticed from them are you buying them as this team that's 13 and 8 in the three seed and what, what what's kind of going on with with grant williams
1: i'm not bought in on him yet either it's, it's strange because usually a team that you know in, in the west especially that you know they're a quarter way through the season and they find themselves in that position you kind of think that okay, this team's legit threat. I, I I don't buy into them either. Um I think the greatest thing you can say about them is if 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 they're in close games, right, they've got two guys that are so yeah. good offensively, right? And that's that's I think gonna be, you know, a formula that's gonna be tough to navigate that in, in a postseason against the better teams that they're gonna have to face down the road. Because none of this stuff matters with the Dallas Mavericks to the regular season. They've got Luka Doncic on their team. If you've got wow. Luka Doncic on your team, then you should be expecting to contend, right? Every year that you have Luka Doncic on your team, and I think they believe that they are because of the talent of Luka. But you're you and I are in the same boat. I, I just I would pit them against several teams in the Western Conference, and I'd be like, I don't see them getting out of that round. And yeah. I, you know, I think part of it is you know, is still like what what is their identity outside of Luka being great. Like I always joke with certain teams, like be great is not the name of an offense, right? That's, that's, yeah, that's not a real strategy. Um, and and so their identity is so tied into Luka Johnson being great every night and controlling the ball and dominating it with his usage to that extent. I just, I don't know if that is a viable way to beat teams like Denver or the Lakers or probably Phoenix when they finally get all their pieces together. Um, so, um, they're entertaining as hell, and I'm gonna want to watch them because they can put up numbers. Luke is always fun to watch for a lot of reasons, but I'm with you, man. I don't know that I'm quite on board yet. And thinking like this is a team that I could see hosting a first round series, winning that series, giving either one of those top two teams, you know, fits in the second round. I, I don't, no, I don't know that I buy into that.
0: And they're like the opposite of the Nets in that I don't think they have great wins. they have a a handful of wins you could point to. They beat the Clippers before the Clippers got rolling. They beat New Orleans before New Orleans got rolling. Um, You know, they beat the Lakers the other day, although they almost collapsed. They were up like 30 points and ended up winning that one by three. So they don't have like a great win-loss profile. Now here's the two players that I think are interesting. And I'll start with Dante Exum, because if you look at their roster, they have Josh Green, they have Grant Williams, they have Dante Exum, and they're all three completely different types of players. Lately, the last two games, they've started Dante Exum, and he's had seven assists in both games. He provides you that sort of secondary shot creation primary at times, but secondary shot creation. I like him as a player. He's coming over from Partizan last year, where he played for one of the best coaches in the world, in my opinion, and Jelko Abradovich. I expected him to make a sort of leap, given what he last left the NBA, what what people saw of him. But to me, he's like a key player for that. It's weird to be saying that Dante Exum is a, a key player for him, but he's playing 30 plus minutes a night as a starter and he's been a positive contributor here on the last few games. Is he a guy that's even on your radar? And if is this a thing where it's like, okay, he's interesting, or is it a thing where it's if Dallas is counting on him, then they're in trouble?
1: Yeah, I'd probably go with that take more than anything. I'm happy for him, first of all, making it back from the injury and like just being, you know, being a guy that like I think some people didn't know honestly that Dante Exxon was like in the league right now and he's playing significant minutes for Dallas he's an interesting guy because he's that rare. He's like a bigger guard that like doesn't really, he's not going to do anything flashy or quick, right? Nope. It's 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 going to do it more with like his, his IQ and his feel for the game. Um, yep. And he is a guy right now that's getting a lot of minutes for them, but I don't know that Dante Exum is going to be a guy I expect to have big spots for them when it matters. I, I think the most important player, probably on their team outside of the top two guys is probably Tim Hardaway Jr. Because he's 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 a guy that can get so hot in short bursts and he's like a Malik Monk. Like, you know, you need a guy like that that you know every night is capable of going off and, and, and he's going to get so many clean looks. And when you look up and down their roster, as far as like pure shooters, they don't really have a lot of those guys. They've got two incredible offensive talents. And they've got guys that their role is to spot up and shoot, but they're not like great shooters. I mean, you know, yeah. Grant Williams is a 40% shooter this year. So he's a decent shooter, but he needs time to get it off. He's not a guy that's going to bury you in a barrage of threes playing off the ball. But Hardaway can do that, man. He can have a half where he makes four or five threes in a big spot because he's always getting open shots. So I think it's still good Tim Hardaway Jr. as being somebody that's, you know, so, so, so important to them.
0: Yeah. Th- he's almost a given to me. Like if they're going to be a good player, he has to be that. And I think he can more or less consistently be that. But you start going down the roster and they just need some more guys um, to kind of be that for them. All right, let's go to players now. We talked about, oh, oh last note I have actually real quick on on Dallas. Lively fit, fit, uh, finishing on the short roll is a huge piece for them too. Because I think oh, as you yeah. start to get to the playoffs, what's it going to be? Lively's been a great roller. Throw the lob. He's been great catching the paint. And he can go up strong and finish. Good touch and all these different things. I think he's going to have to be like a play. If you get to the playoffs, they're just going to start trapping Lucas so high. Lucas the best at pulling that trap out as far as you can and giving a guy a four-on-three situation. But that's a lot to ask of if- a first year player hey you need to make the right reads on the four on three every single time in a playoffs because that's what that's how we're going to win and yet i actually think that's how they're going to win if they do win lively's going to have to be more than just a finisher he's going to have to be able to make reads there and i just there we're we're at the point of the season where it's almost like all right lively you've made it you've been a standout now at that part of the role now you have to start adding a layer to to their team and i just don't know if he can do that
1: yeah no i think that's a very fair point and um he look he's been a revelation for them he's, he's de- desperately needed what he brings that front court athleticism um critical and i think grant williams also one last point on him what one, one thing about grant williams is and, and he has missed shots that you you know you really need him to make because he's the bailout kick out for them because you have to command so much so much attention to luca that he's yeah. going to be that guy that's always a release valve for luca Dantes. he can find him anytime he wants to he's going to get open looks But one thing he has done for them, your Grant Williams, positionally defensively, is something that there are not a lot of guys on their team are willing to do. Like I don't know how porous they would. They're not a great defensive team. I don't know where they'd be without Grant Williams. He's he's always positionally in the right place. He's willing to put his body in front of anybody. He's willing to take that contact. He's very vocal. I think he came from a situation in Boston. He was valued for that. He brings a lot of that to the Dallas Mavericks. So it is something to watch, even on nights when he doesn't shoot well necessarily. I think he still has great value to them because of what he does as a communicator defensively and a willingness yeah. to do some things that some of their top offensive players aren't willing to do.
0: He's got to just pick his offense up a little bit now, and I, you know, maybe they can get some wins. Let's go to players here. You selected Derek White, and I'm so glad I might have selected him if you didn't. So you selected Derek White, who to me is one of the most interesting players he has been all year, all year long. But I'm curious why you think. You singled him out.
1: The more I've watched Derek White, and I, and I really liked him in San Antonio too, but i, I I've, he's now become like one of my favorite players in the league because when you watch the Celtics play, there are certain givens. You kind of know what Tatum and Brown are going to look like on, on a nightly basis. You, you, you pretty much know what Porzingis is going to be now. He's a great fit with them. You know, Drew Holiday is there. I feel like every time I watch the Celtics, and they're in the middle of like this really impressive stretch of basketball that they're playing Derek white is in the mix Derek white is making shots making the right read he can drive he's a he's a legitimate difference making perimeter defender conscientious yep. about it right he he cares about that end of the floor super smart on the other end and then it just feels like when they're when they're in a in a in a game that you're really ent- entertained by and interested in and it's tight Derek white is going to make shots that matter he just yep. has that about him he has a knack for being in the in in the middle of these moments for the celtics that are difference makers in the game and i just just asked philly because he kills philly every yeah. time he plays bad enough philly's got to deal with watching tatum because they could have had him and he's torching them yeah. now you also have this Derek white guy who every time he plays us like plays like this and it's not just Philly, but it's other big games, big moments too. He just and he's got he's got such a great demeanor, man. He's just so steady with his emotions. He's unflappable. He doesn't get too upset or too high, too low. He just plays, but he's always in the middle of Boston's best basketball. Derek White's a part of it, and I just it's has stood out to me. So to me, I don't think they can win a championship without him. And that's saying a lot because those other four guys, right, are the guys that get all the attention. They're not winning a championship, I don't think, without
0: what Derek White brings to them. I'm going to go even hotter on this one because this was my take. It's all about, like, we know the Celtics are talented enough to win. Now it's how do all the pieces fall in place. And here's my thing. Derek White plays a certain way, and the Celtics play a certain way for the first 40 minutes of the game, and different in the last eight, in my opinion. And the difference, by and large, is that Derek White becomes a diminished role in their closing attack for whatever reason. It's like, hey, we got to get, we got to find Brown. We got to find Tatum. Drew sometimes is just a more aggressive stepping outside the lines on his own game. But Derek White to me is the guy that I feel like they need his north-south pressure on the rim. You've got these other guys who are great scorers, but when the game gets tight, they almost go away from Derek White. He has the lowest usage of any player on their closing five. He takes the fewest field goal attempts, same, t- basically tied with Drew Holiday. He takes the fewest field goal attempts. And when I watch him, it's almost like he plays a certain way and it gets to the clutch and it's like, all right, I got to step out of the light now and get the ball elsewhere. And to me, that needs to change. Not that he's the most important player, but that he does something that that unlocks what makes their closing lineup so great and their starting lineup so great.
1: That's astute. That's astute analysis and you're calling for that. And I want to see if – uh... If they're listening, because I agree yeah. with you, I think that's a good. I think it's a fair point because one of the criticisms we have about the Celtics, you know, when you want to nitpick a team that that's you know been you know so so relevant for so long, it is closing games, and, and do they become predictable? And do they become just a prisoner of tough shot making out of yeah. two guys? And is is that going to be? Enough? And does Tatum in those moments sometimes settle and bail you out by taking step back threes without Way putting that often. pressure? Right. Yeah. And and Derek White is, is a guy that's going to he's going to get the best shot for him, the most efficient shot for him, or he's going to make a play for somebody by getting basketball. So I agree, you know, kind of just putting him off the ball where he's just kind of standing there spotting up is maybe not the best usage of him in those close moments. But we all know kind of the tendency of these teams is to just let the stars decide it and yeah. give them the ball and let them go. And then hopefully they make a tough shot. And I right. think there is more there. There's more meat on the bone for Derek White in those moments. That's a good point.
0: It's just, it's a weird dynamic because he might be the fifth best starter in that lineup. But it doesn't mean he's the fifth most important. He does something that's that's really important. And at least the margins are close. Between the best and the worst player in their starting five, There still needs to be a balance in how they attack. And I just feel like that balance is the right balance for all but about five, six minutes of the game. And then it gets to the close and they change their identity. And I think that's part of why they struggle. Any other notes on Derek White that that stood out?
1: I think one of the things that I've noticed is is his presence is so important for Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday sometimes, I think, expends so much energy in the way that he plays defensively. I mean, you're not going to find a more physical guard defensively in what he's willing to do, the amount of contact that he takes. I mean, duality does not lay on picks. He does not go under picks. He fights over picks. He gets top leg over. He's taking elbows and knees to his thighs and to his rib cage. As he's trying to fight over, he takes it seriously, these top guards that he's playing. What that means then, there's going to be less energy and less ability for him sometimes offensively. And Now you've got this other guy that you can give the basketball to that can run your offense or – Hey, you, you know, you need yeah. to get a 10 point quarter. I can do that too. So I just think he's been a great pairing and complimentary piece to go with Drew Holiday. And you don't get much better defensively as a backcourt than those two guys. Uh yeah. so Derek White, I just I admire how often I'm watching games and it's like, damn, Derek White. There's Derek White again. Derek White, like you hear his name right. at these at these moments
0: in games that are like pivot points. He's he's in the mix. And uh, that says a lot about a player. He's one of those guys that would be tough. to I mean, him and Drew both. If you had to go against both of them, and you're getting switched and everything else, they're just a, they're tough to go against. Drew because of how physical he is and how connected. You're never free. You never get an open shot. And then Derek White because that north south. He just he's so good at running left right euro step this or that. Like you're always on your toes when you're when he's on the court because. And the other thing he does that's so great legs that I love is he catches on the move. He's so good at standing still. And the moment the ball passes to him, he catches it and and runs into the catch. And then if you're on your heels, he's by you. So to me, he's got to be one of the most annoying players in the NBA to play against. Um, Mine was different. I went a different route. I love that you stuck both your team and your player in the East. I stuck in the Western Conference. You're an East Coast guy. I'm a West Coast guy. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was my pick. Now the Wolves are 17-4. and They've won six in a row. I think they're the best team in basketball to this point you could say them the celtics but they have been so dominant and obviously because of their defense but when you start they've been good enough that they're not in the category like the pacers are or the nets where we're like ah they're a good story but you know making the playoffs is great maybe win around they are good enough that they should be thinking they are title contenders they should be looking at it going why can't we beat anyone I look at teams like Phoenix, and I think that's a tough matchup for them because Phoenix scores so much. And in a playoffs, Minnesota is going to have to go to defensive lineups where they play multiple defenders. To me, that's obviously Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels, two of their starters. Nikhil Alexander-Walker might be their third best defender behind those guys. Last year in the playoffs, he was phenomenal against Jamal Murray, made Jamal Murray work for every bucket that he got. But can you play offensively with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jaden McDaniels, and Rudy Gobert on the court together? I don't think so. That's such a rough offensive trio that even with Cat and Ant around, you're still going to struggle. So to me, Nikhil represents this. That's a team that is – he makes them good enough to guard the best offenses, but it comes at such a cost, and he's still young and developing that I think like, okay, how do they handle him, and how important can he be to their playoff rotation? He's a
1: he's a super interesting choice. Caught me by surprise when you went uh, in this direction, right? There's, there's there's so many. Look, you went with a team that's had great success and they they might be the best storyline in the league this year what they have done here out of the gate. Um and he's not the guy you're thinking about when you think about the Minnesota Timberwolves. I really liked him before he came over to Minnesota. Uh, he's he's you know he, he just he's got a way about him that's he's he's just a very natural Um, player offensively, the way he moves and the way he looks for his shot. And and he's very confident. Uh, I I didn't know that I would look at him in Minnesota with this makeup of teams and saying, this is a guy that I think, you know, could be in some way, a difference maker for them. Um, And ultimately, I think, you know, when we look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, the way we're going to be judging them all year. And I don't know that you need to be great defensively anymore to win a championship. This is a team that I think offensively leaves some things to be desired, even oh. with the talent of Kat and Anthony Edwards, just the way that they play offensively. I don't know that they're the smartest team offensively a lot of nights, No, but it's going to be, yeah, like, yeah it's, we're going to, we're going to judge them by, wow, is this the outlier? Is this the team that can be so good defensively, they can carry themselves all the way, all the way through the West into the finals and win a championship, primarily because of how stingy they are on that end, how difficult they are to get clean looks in the paint against. Is is that good enough? And that's ultimately, I think, why we're gonna judge them. And that's why I'm a little bit surprised you went with with this particular player with a team that we think is,
0: you know, I got a legitimate chance here to be in this thick of things all season long. He's so good defensively. I just he's like a mini Jaden McDaniels to me. Like he has great length, he moves incredibly well. You can't screen him. He's too skinny, he gets around all the screens, he contests everything. And I just, again, when I look at this Minnesota team, they have a recipe for regular season success and that they're just, they have a great defensive lineup and they score enough. But to me, yeah. a team like the Suns, the Suns I think are a bad matchup for certain teams, maybe Denver, but they I think are a really good matchup for this Minnesota team just because Minnesota is going to have to become more unbalanced. They're, right now they split the difference. They're good enough defensively with like Gobert and Jade McDaniels that they can throw out twin tower lineups nas reed and oh, oh we're gonna play uh you know anthony edwards and mike conley i know is a good defender but smaller guy i think against the suns mike conley would struggle in my opinion against the suns you get kevin durant switched out on him he doesn't see him he just that's and an I, he'd have a hard time he'd have a hard time with booker even booker even is just elevates on his shot and he loves playing against smaller guys so i start to think about. All right, the teams that could cause them problem, even maybe a Dallas. I know as weird as that is to say, but just teams that change the dynamic. And then I go, okay, they're gonna have to have three or four defenders, perimeter defenders on the court at the same time. And the only guys they have to do that are not offensive options. They're very they're anchors on offense, and including Nikhil. And that's why can they find something with him that he does offensively that allows you to survive? Because I think he can guard Bradley Beal and Devin Booker and make life hard on them. Um, I think he's that caliber. Lastly, I'll tell you this: this is another reason I, I'm buying Nikhil Alexander Walker. Putting my conspiracy, my tinfoil hat on legs, I think they're going to make a trade here very, very soon at the deadline for Bones Highland, who was drafted by Tim Conley, and who is not playing right now for the Clippers and probably not going to play, and who I think is a has a lot of upside. Bones Highland's problem was, you know, he didn't buy in in Denver. And you get to L.A. and you realize that your situation in the NBA is very, you know, it could change at any moment. Going to a third team, I think, would be great for Bones. He needed to get his head on his shoulders, but he's an insane offensive talent. And if you have Gobert and Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Troy Brown, all the different players they have, I actually think it's a perfect fit. They need his offense, they need his scoring, and he allows them to play more defensive-minded bench lineups. I think they can get him for cheap, maybe a Shake Milton, some second-round picks. Um, so to me, Nikhil Alexander-Bones-Highland, could that be the championship backcourt uh, off the bench for a team? I actually think it might. Yeah, that's. I like that pairing. And
1: I also think if you went through the entire league and you went through all 30 teams and you're looking for a guard that that currently really isn't in the rotation, and then right. obviously with what they've done in, in L.A., with adding Westbrook and adding Harden, you already got Paul George and Kawhi who are guards – there's just no room. There's no meaningful minutes there to be had. Um, if you went through all 30 teams, find me a better scoring option right now of a guy that's not in a rotation than Bones Highland. And, you you know, you got an opportunity to see him a lot when he was in Denver, and he's and he he's one of those guys who was so fun to watch, and he could go on these, like, scoring bursts, and he yeah. plays so fast, and he's coming at you. You know, sort of like a Jamal Crawford type of guy in his approach to it and the way he's going to get buckets. But... There was also something clearly was wrong there because it was like, why is why is this not more consistent in terms of his playing time? Um, and he seemed to be somebody that maybe didn't handle that particularly well. So nope. to get a breath of fresh air, to go to a team playing for something where you have slotted in regular rotational minutes for him, I actually think Bones Highland is a guy, if you play him 15 minutes a night, he's going to get you double figures pretty much every single game. And some nights he's going to go off. Where he gets yeah. you twenty or twenty five because he can get cooking like that. So I really, I really like this idea. It's clearly expendable to the Clippers. Although I say that, you know, you you got some dudes that are a little bit up there in age right now that are, are these no. star names. Who knows if any of those guys go down? Are you going to need Bones Highland offense? But I think he's a guy that I would definitely look at
0: yeah i think it makes sense for them and by the way Nikhil alexander walker is like bones highland he had a couple stops early in his career underperformed the rap on him was hey this guy thinks he's better than he is he needed to be humbled he arrives in minnesota and now he's an impact player he realized hey i'm a role player i'm a high level role player bones highland to me is a great offensive player and you give him a, a, a defensive unit that could use his scoring punch and i just think it works Um, So I like that for them. And I kind of think it's going to happen. Tim Conley, DMV area guy. Bones Highland, DMV area guy. He drafted Bones in Denver a couple years ago. Like, that's his guy. Tim Conley loves his guys. He loves his draft pick. So I just could see it happening. And I actually think it would be a really, really good fit. Um, That does it for us today, man. We did a deep dive on two players, deep dive on two teams, and talked in-season tournament. That was a jam-packed Monday, legs. Um, Tonight... Yeah, tonight, I'm excited that we get back into real regular basketball. You asked about the hangover earlier. The in-season tournament was a lot of fun. I'm so curious to see how everyone approaches the season now, that these games are just regular NBA games. What's, What's your prediction? Do we get sloppy basketball this week? Do we get great basketball, or do we just get kind of regular December basketball?
1: I think the teams that went through it, you might see a little bit of, of a letdown uh, from some of those teams that went through it and played all the way to you know to the end, the quarterfinals and beyond. I think some of the teams that like didn't get out of pool play, I, it kind of feels like they've had this little mini all-star break because of the number yeah. of nights there haven't been games, how yep. light their schedule's been. So I think those guys actually could be – those teams that didn't make it out of pool play, like, those teams could be energized with fresh legs and like anxious to go and get back to a, to a normal schedule again. So I think it'll be a mixed bag. Um, and and I think, unfortunately, I think you might start to see a little bit of, of load management kick in here for the next couple of months, even though the league's trying to you know, put in rules to protect that. I think now uh, would be the time. Uh, this is over with. You got a two-month stretch before the All-Star break. I, I think you're going to start to see, unfortunately, some of these nights sprinkled in where some guys are getting some rest and some nights off going forward. Um, it's going to be interesting to see like how these teams do now over the next two, three weeks that this is over because it was so, it was such a different feel and vibe what they were going through to what this is going to be now. So I think, I think we're all curious about it. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, a great slate, uh, starting off here tonight. Um, but I think that we're, we're going to be paying attention to it over the next couple of weeks, particularly the teams that had deeper runs in this tournament.
0: No doubt about it. Miami at Charlotte, that's a good one. Cleveland at Orlando. I like that game. Denver at Atlanta. I like that one. And then to round it out, Minnesota at New Orleans, another another good matchup. That does it for us, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, help us out on social media. Retweet, like, share it wherever you uh share it with friends, whatever you got, and hit that like button for us on the way out. We'll see you tomorrow. the mayor